are listening to Fatcast. I am Leslie, and with me, as always, is the lovely Marianne. That's correct. (laughs) And today we are going to be talking about dating and sex, probably in that order. Um, Marianne had solicited questions via Twitter and Tumblr, um, and I think we got um, a question or two via email as well. Anytime you say solicited in the context of a sexual discussion, I laugh like a 12-year-old. That's good to know. So I'll say solicited a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I realize realize it really is, like, completely immature of me. I just can't help it. You're completely immature. But we knew that. I mean... That's that's true. I am a paragon of maturity. That's that's part of your charm, is your your childlike wonder. (laughs) That's such a nice way of putting it. With which you view the world. Hanging out with Marianne is like hanging out with a wide-eyed four-year-old. <laughs> Glaring at I you. meant that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I believe you. So, yeah. So, we're going to, you know, talk about your questions. We'll probably go off on some, some tangents. This may wind up being a two-parter depending um, depending on what you know, we have to say and what your questions. How, how I let me say up front. I fully believe this will be a two-parter. Leslie seems to think that there is not enough to say on the topic of dating and or sex to fill two podcasts. I I am confident that we can do it in the ninety minutes that do I. It. At which point I am like, yeah, we have to shut this down because I cannot actually edit a file on my computer that is longer than 90 minutes. If we can't talk about our closet, like, I have more things to say about our closets than fit in those yeah. 90 minutes. If yeah, that we- was... If we can talk about our closets that much, I'm just saying. The Closet Podcast was easily um, the most unfocused podcast that I think we've ever had. Um not to say I, I I hope it was entertaining. I could not actually bring myself to listen to it. <laughs> so. I I I haven't listened to it either, but that's more to do with my issues than specifically avoiding it. But you have such a cute little voice. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I have to say about that. All right. Well, let's get to it. Um, let's let's start with the dating. We're going to start with dating because. Uh, probably unsurprisingly, we had way, way more questions about sex than we did about actual dating. So we're going to start with the dating side of things. And then if uh, that doesn't fill an hour, then we'll probably do starting on the sex and maybe turn that into a two-parter. So, okay. Um, I'm just letting the people know what we're doing. <laughs> Sheesh, man. Always I'm with the sorry. judging. I'm not judging you. <laughs> Uh, Marianne, would you like to uh, throw out the first question? I will throw out the first question that just came in fresh from Twitter. Is it hot? It's fresh. It's hot. It's a direct (laughs) message. (laughs) I am a size 26 and both smart and a smart ass. How on earth do I meet anyone who is not scared off by one or the other? All right. That's a good question. Because I, I, I am actually the same person. I know, me too! <laughs> so, do you want to kick that one off, or do you want me to start it? You take it. Run with it. Fly, be free. Well, one thing one thing that I find interesting is that the most common question, I think, is 
how do I meet someone? And this is true of dating questions no matter what size people are because I think we all tend to feel like there's something about us that is going to turn people off or drive them away. Just, you know, if, if we're excessively nerdy, we might not want to be incredibly out about that. And if you're fat, it's that much harder because there is that sort of additional pressure and that additional cultural loathing where it's not just about being an outsider so much as it is being sort of held up as a symbol of everything that is wrong with America. And yeah, well, that's that can black. That can do, <laughs> that can do a number on your self-esteem when you're trying to meet people. Uh, the how do I meet people thing is probably like the most difficult question to answer in the world, uh, which is why people ask it all the time because they're there. It's hard. Um, I try to think about circumstances in which I met like-minded individuals way back in the distant day yeah antiquity of when I was dating and I tended to meet them in circumstances that assumed a certain comradeship between us um, I met one guy that I dated I met at a they might be Giants concert one guy that I dated I met at a Morrissey concert uh, my the the guy that I would eventually marry, I met at uh, in in uh, a class in college. He was a grad student, and I was still an undergrad. And I think, and and Marianne, I'm sure you'll have you know sort of different experiences and different things to say here. For me, it's always been about when I'm in a situation that where I know that most of the people around are going to have something in common with them. If it's a concert, or if it's a class, or if it's some other like I don't know, like a, a fucking knitting circle you know <laughs> I how did you I, know I was knitting <laughs> <laughs> because you're always knitting this time of year aren't you <laughs> well that's beside the point <laughs> <laughs> but seriously you know to to go out and do stuff that actually interests you as opposed to my biggest my biggest thing that I tell people is don't go to bars and look to meet someone if you want to go to a bar or a club go to drink and dance and have fun with your friends don't actually go to meet someone because yeah, I, I met people. I in, have a caveat for that. Well, I, I was going to say, I met people who were awesome at um, various golf clubs and other theme nights and queer nights and things like that. But I don't know. I just, I've, I've known so few people who have had successful, happy relationships of any kind, not even sort of with an eye toward marriage, but, you know, any kind of happy relationship that started in a, in a club environment that I tend to, if you want to meet someone at a club and go home with them, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But I wouldn't, I, I counsel people against going to these places with an eye toward, I'm going to meet the love of my life. And we're going to, because you might, but odds are overwhelmingly that you are probably not going to. Well, and I, I sort of counsel people against going anywhere with that concept. Well, yeah. But I feel like you're, if you, if you have an active longing to meet a long-term serious partner, your odds are going to be better if you're going to social situations that actually reflect more of the reality of everyday life yes. than a nightclub environment, which is by its nature an escapist sort of fantasy world. Yes. And as I said, if you're, if there's a lot of, there's a huge spectrum of what counts as relationships. So it kind of depends on what kind of relationship and what kind of situation you're looking for. Uh, so I don't think clubs are completely useless on that front. It's just, I don't think that's the best place to go looking for someone to spend forever with. 
but you know, at, at a concert, I mean, I would just you know, chat people up, and I got shot down a lot, but I also uh, got not shot down a lot too. So that's, I guess, my I guess my advice in a nutshell is to try to seek out social situations where you can meet new people that you know you're going to have something in common with them, even if it is just knitting. Well, here here is part one of my thought. Dating is uh, dating is a difficult game for everybody because we do not live in a society that teaches people to be confident and happy with themselves no matter what. So everybody is sort of running around with that whole, like – mindset that they're incredibly tragically flawed and no one will ever love them mm-hmm. you know it's it's, <laughs> it's supposed to be fun and it's just not for so many people um but a large part of dating is that it is unfairly skewed toward the extroverted because it is a numbers game mm-hmm. it is about being willing to talk to people and open yourself up to people, and it's about being willing to get shot down. Mm-hmm. And I think for people who do deviate from the sort of cultural norm, quote-unquote, if you are not in an environment designed to cater to your specific, like, I don't know, I hate to say deviation, but your specific subgroup, you know, the the numbers thing really does come into play. I think that we shoot ourselves in the foot when we assume that everyone is going to be repelled by 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 our, our body. I have dated a lot of different people, and I have never met any of them at a, like, fatty-specific event. Yeah, actually, it, me neither. It's, it's always been, like, you know oh, I'm hanging out with friends at at this Denny's and he's cute. Or, oh, I, you know, picked this person up at a bar. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) You know, which was not, um, my caveat. Totally against Leslie's advice. (laughs) (laughs) And, And my caveat for that is that I really was just looking for someone that I could have like a casual fun relationship with as opposed to anything serious. So it worked out well. And it was a goth club, not a bar, but I was at the bar, if that counts. So, I mean, I, I think that it, it is, I, th- I think that it's a numbers game and that if you are able to view rejection less personally, it becomes a lot easier to... Uh, you know, to meet people who aren't scared off by your size 26 smart ass. I think, honestly, a really important part of this is just to let people know, very often getting shot down is nowhere near as bad as you think it's going to be. Yeah. Um, it is not, we have this, when you imagine getting going up and hitting on someone and getting shot down, I know personally, you know, I tend to imagine that in, in the realm of getting harassed or getting uh just you know slammed by a stranger it's actually a very different experience than that because by going up to someone you've sort of created the situation you have a certain degree of agency and control over it so if you go hit on a person and they're like yeah no thanks you get to walk away from that saying you know eh, 
I felt good about myself. I went up. I gave it a shot. It didn't work out. It's not really a personal thing so much as it, you know, is that person is just not, you know, took. I mean, you can't take it personally for the simple fact that that person doesn't know you, uh, particularly in a in a, a stranger environment where it's someone that that you you know have never met before that has no context in which to place you that really doesn't know anything about and you. You don't know them either, right? So you're basing this on. A, a a sort of chemical or visual connection, which is how these things work, and that's totally normal. But like I said, the experience of getting shot down for me was always more like I, I even though I did it a bunch so many times, I would always dread it. Like, what if this happens? But then when I walked away, I always sort of felt kind of proud of myself. <laughs> And I did this again and again and again, going back to my teenage years, where I would walk away and think, well, you know, I, I gambled, I lost, but I'm really happy I tried. Yeah. Because even just going through that experience of trying, it sounds counterintuitive, going through that experience of trying and experiencing getting shot down, and eventually you're not going to get shot down, because as Marianne says, it's a numbers game, so odds are... are the odds dictate at some point someone's going to be like, hey, yeah. It's not Vegas. The house doesn't always win. Exactly. But going through that experience again and again actually in, increased my self-confidence. And it sounds counterintuitive, but I think it, it has to do with the fact that every time I went through it and I was not destroyed by the experience, I thought, okay, I can, you know, I, I, I survived. And I didn't cry, and I didn't, you know, kick this person's head in. <laughs> you know, I, I, and it wasn't that big a deal, and I'm going to go back to my drink and my friends, and that'll be that. And that's, you know, I tried it, and, and it didn't work out, whatever. That it can some... be more difficult if it's somebody that you've established a friendship with. Yes. And you're, like, trying to open up that conversation, like, <laughs> hey, I think whatever. Can I tell a really short story? Yes! This is such a cute little, little, oh, it's like little Leslie in, in, in college. Um, there was this guy that I knew that, uh, I forget how we actually met. I think we met through mutual friends. And one summer I was, I stayed in Boston. It was, I think it was actually the first summer that I lived in Boston. Actually, I know it was. Uh, it was the first summer that I actually stayed in Boston. It was after my sophomore year of college. And the summer in Boston, for people who don't know, is pretty quiet because, a huge portion of the city's normal population, being all of these college students, go home. So it's kind of dead in the summer. And this guy was, was staying over the summer, too. And we sort of, he worked at, I, I so hope that this never gets back, he worked at a, a convenience store on campus. And we sort of established a friendship. He had just broken up, or I don't know if he broke up with her or if she dumped him, uh, of, with a girlfriend that he had had for a ridiculous amount of time, like going back to like, you know, freshman year of high school or something. And so they had broken up. He and I established this friendship and it turned into this thing where literally we spent like I would go meet him after work and we were hanging out like five nights a week or six nights a week. Uh not really doing anything that dramatic. Like we just hang out, we listen to music, we talked incessantly, we went for walks. Uh sometimes we go get something to eat, but we were both poor students so that didn't happen that often. And, uh, you know, I completely fell for this guy, completely, like, like, y'all don't even know, because I'm, I'm old and, and bitter now, but I... <laughs> well, that tends to happen when you're spending that kind of 
time with someone, too, though. And we had so much in common. I made him mixtapes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And they were, like, ever so subtly encoded. <laughs> I wonder how subtle it really was. It was so not subtle. It was like getting beat over the head with a club. <laughs> And, you know, we, like, we spent this in, and this went on for months. Like, we were seeing, we were hanging out every night. And probably, I mean, for me, I don't, I don't get, I don't, I haven't, you know, I'm I'm not a the kind of person, I mean, we all have friends who fall in love every 10, 15 minutes or so. I've never been that kind of person. I don't, it doesn't happen that often where I completely just go head over heels for someone. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I did. And... I sort of tried to, like, hint around with the mixtapes and, you know, other sort of subtle, not subtle things. And, you know, it was, he was just one of those guys that I, he was very difficult to read. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't tell where he stood. And so I wound up doing what I have done. This goes back many years. Um, historically, like in high school, if I liked a dude, I would just let him know. And sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't. But the weird thing is every single time that I let a guy know, uh, his reaction was always like he was thrilled about it. Like, even if he wasn't interested in a relationship, he was always like, wow, it's so awesome. Like, you're so ballsy. Well, it's flattering it's as a, well. Yeah. And so eventually I got to the point, and this was like, this. I swear to God, Marion, I should write this as a movie because it would be a horrible movie, but I would probably sell it for a bazillion dollars because it's a, <laughs> a gruesome, tragic, you know, romantic comedy. And so this goes on all summer. And at pretty much the end of the summer, it was like the week before classes would start again and everybody was coming back into town. And I, you know, was like, you know what, it's now or never. I'm going to say something. And if I'm, I'm just, I, I just couldn't, I reached a point where I'm like, I would rather just not hang out anymore and just yeah. cut this dude out of my life than keep seeing him and having this huge crush on him. And, you know, it's just, it's just frustrating as fuck. Pining gets old. Yeah. So end of the summer, he came over one night, we're hanging out as usual and I basically said, I have a massive crush on you. And, you know, I don't, I'm not saying this to pressure you. I don't want it to be weird. I just, you know, I'm letting you know. And, you know, we can go on as friends. We And I'll eventually get over it. We cannot. I just had to get it off my chest. Yeah. And his, as I said, historically, when I've done this, it hasn't been weird. Because I, I don't know if it's because I'm so forthright. I don't know if I tend to get crushes on particularly mature people. But historically, when I've done this, it's just sort of been like, they've been flattered or whatever, or they've been into it. And, you know, we sort of go from there. And he just kind of, he kind of nodded. I don't remember exactly if he said anything, but he kind of nodded. And like, and I mean, as I said, I had been leaving not so subtle hints. So it probably was right. not a huge shock to him. And basically like that was it. Like that was the end of the yeah. relationship. And I saw him in the student union, uh, which uh, was sort of like a food court thing with stores and stuff on BU campus. Um, I <laughs> with saw him... doors? Stores, yeah. Oh, like... stores. I thought you said doors. Oh, and like, well, there are usually... there are doors because it's a building. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was so confused. Yeah, but, uh, but so I ran into him there with a friend of mine, and, you know, he was really distant and sort of, you know, and not unfriendly, but just sort of awkward. Yeah. And I basically walked away thinking, all right, well, you know, fuck you then. And yeah. But the irony, this is hilarious, is I had met the dude that I would originally, I would ultimately um, 
Actually, no, because that was months and months later. Okay, I told the story wrong. What happened <laughs> was, it was, it was, I didn't see him after I told him I had the crush on him. I didn't see him for like two or three months. And then that winter, um, I met my, you know, eventual future husband, which at the time, if you had told me I would marry this guy, I would have like. Because you thought he was a douche. At I first. thought not only did I think he was a douche, well, I mean, he was an arrogant fuck. Which apparently I'm attracted. To. Trying to be nice, <laughs> but I met I met you know my husband who came on to me. Uh, well, I sort of gave signals, but whatever. He tells a different story than I do. But I say he came on to me. It may have been mutual. And I, you know, we had been talking on the phone periodically, and he had asked me out, and so we had a date for like I don't know a couple of weeks in advance, and then I I ran into the you know, summer loving who broke my fucking heart. And, you know, he was really sort of distant. And I was like, you know what? Fuck you, man. Like, I've done this a lot of times and nobody has been a, a, an awkward bastard about it like you have, yeah. which is stupid because it's if he didn't know me at all, it would have made more sense to me. Yeah. Um, but because we'd spent the whole fucking summer together, <laughs> like, I was sort of pissed because I kept thinking, you know, like, dude, you know me really well. Like, I'm not going to be a weirdo or a psycho about this. I'm, yeah. you know, I just wanted to get off my chest. It's not that big a deal. So I was pissed, and then I went on the date with, uh, well, I won't even call it a date because we didn't actually go anywhere um, with <laughs> the, the man that I would eventually marry. <laughs> So that was that, um, that was a very not short story, but my point being that was, that was really actually very hard for me Yeah. because I had really, really, really strong feelings for this guy and we had such an awesome friendship and all I kept thinking was, you know, we have so much in common and he's so great and this is basically exactly the kind of person I've been looking for. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if he was rebound because he just gotten out of this relationship. I don't know. I'm sure he had his own shit going on. So I don't want to be like, he's just an asshole. But, and I also did run into him like three or four years after that. And he was working in a, a fucking music shop and I had a master's degree, <laughs> and, which in a total bitch way was like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> also, you look like shit. <laughs> nap leslie yeah i know i had a lot of anger that was one of the few like i said i generally sort of bounce back from that sort of stuff but i was just really pissed because we were so close and then it was just like eh, we're not close anymore and i tend that... to have a really pragmatic view of this stuff because yes it's incredibly painful to like lose a friendship that way mm -hmm. but i also don't want to be friends with that kind of person yeah who... which is you know, who who could spend that kind of time with me and then just drop me because of something that was perhaps, you know, vaguely uncomfortable, potentially. Yeah. And I mean, I feel the same way. It was just, as I said, what's, that was, like I said, that was my, my biggest sort of heartbreak, I guess, yeah. because if he had just been a guy that I met at a concert and came on to and he was like, yeah, no, thank you, I would have... I would have walked away and just gone on with my life and it wouldn't have been that big a deal. It was because we were friends and like you said, my bringing up something that made him mildly uncomfortable was enough for him to be like, yeah, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. I sort of was like, wow, you're a big fake lion asshole kind of because I thought, you know, we were actually friends and if we're actually friends, then I should be able to say this. 
and you and I should be able to talk about it. And if you're not down with it, we can move beyond because you know me well enough to know that I'm, that's, that's how it's going to work out because that's just, you know, ah, (laughs) aren't you glad I relived that for fat cast, you know, posterity? Well, I I am glad because it is very illustrative of what I think a lot of people fear, which is that not only will they not, you know, wind up with a date, they will lose an established friendship. Yeah. And yes, it sucks. And again, I mean, do you really want to devote your friendship to the kind of person who can't handle? So, hey, I kind of... I'm developing feelings for you. How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I agree. I agree. I'm a terrible person, though. <laughs> you well, no, I mean, I think that person? that is, the, the, the scary <laughs> thing is that it's so, it's, it does happen so often that when you have a close friendship with someone that you will develop feelings. And. I'm telling, I mean, my story is as much to be like, hey, you know, I, I, it happened and I was really upset at the time, but in retrospect and, and with the passage of, you know, months and eventually years, I just sort of realized this is, this is the best, this is for the best in the long run, that this obviously is not a guy, if, if me bringing up something like that freaks him out, I don't even want to know what bringing up an actual difficult conversation <laughs> would have been like if he's that probably prone. not a guy you want to go through a pregnancy scare with. Exactly. So I think that was like you had said from a pure pragmatic. You have to look at the stuff from that practical perspective. That if you have a friend and he responds that way, then that's probably demonstrative of him you know, shutting down in a relationship and you do not really want to be in a relationship with someone who shuts down like that at when things get ugly. Because yeah. if you're in a long-term, I mean, you know, if it's if it's a casual relationship, who the fuck cares? But if you're looking for a long-term relationship, which is what I was hoping for with this particular person, that's not a good thing to be privy to. <laughs> I I also ought to throw out there, like, just for context, um, I really do think it's a numbers game. I think there are a lot of people on the planet and a lot of people with whom every individual can potentially be happy in any, like, number of certain ways. And I don't believe in soulmates. Me neither. Like, I realize that's probably not very romantic, but I also think that capital R romance and the capital R romantics did a lot to fuck a lot of people up. Um <laughs> Philosophically speaking, I think it's bullshit um, because because it is like I can't even enumerate all of my multiple reasons because we don't have that long. But I think that it is self-defeatist mm-hmm. to, to approach relationships from that kind of perspective. And having dated someone who thought they found their soulmate and it didn't work out like – I should not have invested nearly as much time in him because he was hung up on the soulmate that it didn't work out with because that mm-hmm. condemns every other relationship you have in your entire life to not being good enough. Yeah. And who wants to do that? Capital R romantics. Pretty much. Yeah. Not the band, like the 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 school of <laughs> art and literature and philosophical <laughs> I'm sure the band are lovely people. Well, Maybe think, they're not. They could be bastards. I don't know. I think that sometimes 
having a really really strictly established idea of what is romantic and what you expect can be stifling. Yes. Because you'd be surprised what may turn out to be romantic. And if you're expecting rose petals in the bed and and goofy shit like that, which I don't want to judge anyone who likes this sort of thing, but whatever. That's not always that eventually in your actual life the stuff that you are told is the most romantic shit ever very often turns out not to be as romantic as other things i think the things that are coded as romantic in our society as well come with a lot of connotation baggage and expectation Mm -hmm. as well so while we are supposed to respond to the romance of being given the flowers there are, you know, there there are lots of different cultural expectations that go along with that that mm-hmm. I find maddening. Yeah. Um <laughs> to to more specifically address the original question that brought us here, mm-hmm. you know, how do you meet somebody who's not scared off by being a smart, fat, smart ass is to get yourself involved with people who fit that category themselves. Maybe mm-hmm. You know, may, maybe they are not themselves fat, but if you hang out with smart, smart asses, they will tend to appreciate your sense of humor. Mm-hmm. You know, they will tend to go, oh, hey, that's a person who really makes me laugh, and I enjoy that a great deal. Or, you know, whatever the hell people say in their own head. I don't know other people's internal monologue voice. The other but... thing... Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but you can't be like... like... That's one of the things that I find really frustrating um, is the sort of double standard that gets applied um, to men sometimes um, where women are like, oh, I'm not, you know, instantly attracted to this person. He's kind of quiet and a nice guy, but whatever. Sometimes you have to give people like that a chance because they are the ones who are going to appreciate, you know, whatever it is that makes you you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're running around worried about people not appreciating you and you're not appreciating other people, that's kind of trying to have your two whole cakes and eat them as well. <laughs> I also think that, that may this may go without saying, um, or it may not, but I, I would counsel people not if, if you are in a circumstance where you're meeting people or you have just met someone that you think is kind of interesting. I really strongly am in favor of being as much, and I know this is such a cliche, but being as much of yourself as is possible in those early moments rather than trying to be, particularly uh, as women, you know, there is this pressure to try to be what you think the person you're talking to expects of you. Yeah. And and wanting to please that person so that they'll want to keep talking to you and maybe ask for your phone number, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously, any kind of social interaction requires some degree of wanting to please that person. Otherwise, you're, nobody wants to talk to you. But, <laughs> but you know, there is, it, it's, I, I counsel, because I've had friends that I've seen do this again and again and again, where they sort of, like, suppress their natural personality. And if they're, they're normally sort of loud and brash people with their friends, and then they meet some dude and they become very meek in his presence, and it, it, it just, it doesn't end well, usually, in those circumstances, and 
trying starting off even in the earliest moments of meeting someone pretending to be someone else or pretending to have a personality that does not come naturally to you yeah. is it, it it puts pressure on you it puts it it winds up you know fucking with the other person eventually and it's just I know there I guess what I'm saying is I want to acknowledge that there is a lot of pressure to do that and I just want to tell people don't if yeah. you're if you're the kind of person like me who uses uh, profanity a lot, I wouldn't necessarily be like, fuck, fuck, fuck. But, you know, I wouldn't also, you know, try to, I, I would not try to impress them with my lack of profane language because that's not how I normally are. And if that really bugs someone, then I think we're going to have a problem having conversations. That's not how you way. are. That's not how I normally are is what you just said. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, is Leslie feeling okay? <laughs> Yeah, you know what I meant. Though. I do. I just, I was, it, that particular construction always makes me think of I, I, I R baboon. I, that's me too. I R baboon. I am the I R baboon. I'm sorry, if, people. That was a total derail. I don't know if anybody remembers that. I'm going to, I'll try to find a link and put it on the post so people can, can revel in the glory that was that totally random cartoon that had lieutenant wharf doing one of the voices yeah it had nothing to do with anything ever it was just like i don't know it was a strange moment yeah it was bizarre strange um, moment in pop culture the other the other thing i wanted to say real quick was that on the the subject of meeting people as a fat ass smarty um smart fat smart fat fat ass is sometimes just being out with you know, you don't necessarily have to be looking to meet someone every second that you're out in the world. Uh, most of the times that I have been successfully hit on, and by successfully as in by people that I actually wanted to know more about, uh, all of those times I have just been out with friends just doing my thing and, and being unabashedly myself. And very often if you're out just being who you are, people who will be attracted to you will notice that. <laughs> And will feel a natural connection to that and will want to talk to you about it. I had in, in the, the late lamented uh, Deli House in Kenmore Square in Boston, and again, I'm totally showing my age. I was there with some friends. It was really late at night. And we were loud and rowdy. And I kept noticing there was a group of people sitting in the back that we were in a booth and I could sort of see their table. And with three incredibly good-looking guys, and one of these guys kept looking at me like he was trying to catch my eye or whatever. And I'm thinking, what is, what is up with this dude? Like, why? It's, it was starting to make me a little uncomfortable, like, what's happening. And eventually he sort of, like, waves and, like, he's acting like he knows me. And he comes up to the table. He's like, hey. He's like, how are you doing? And he starts talking to me about nothing in particular. I'm like, I'm great. And I'm like, wow, this is a really good-looking fucking guy. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, he's like, I haven't seen you in forever. He's like, what's, you know, like, and, and eventually somehow he got my phone number out of me. Which oh, I he was good. I take this to just being intoxicated by, he was incredibly charming. Uh, he was incredibly sort of smooth and self-confident. And he was just amazing to look at. And we wound up ultimately, we never wound up dating in, in the long run just because I had other shit going on. But we wound up becoming friends. And, like, I swear to you, like, a year... And, and I sort of just forgot about it. Like, I thought, okay, maybe he's drunk and he does think he knows me. Yeah. And then he's going to sober up. And, and we wound up having friends in common. 
and we wound up going to a lot of the same club nights and stuff. So it, it the friendship sort of evolved outside of that original encounter. And probably, I thought, it was like a year and a half later, we were at a party together. And he corners me in the hallway. And he's like, yeah, he's like, he was wasted. And actually, I was pretty far in the bag myself. And he's like, yeah, I remember back when we met at Deli House, and I pretended to know you because you were <laughs> so fucking hot, and I just had to talk to you. And I'm standing there, and like I said, I'm like half drunk, so I'm like, uh... <laughs> Like Aww. I, <laughs> my mind was blown, <laughs> completely, completely blown by that because, like I said, I had just for a year at that point, I had just figured, eh, whatever. He thought I was someone else, or you know, that was it was just a weird thing, or maybe he thought we met before and we never actually, I don't know, or maybe he knew that we had friends in common. I, I just kept putting it down in my head as anything other than try you know this guy trying to pick me up so that is a good segue yeah it's an awesome segue so that but that was a huge huge revolution inside my head in that moment because i i realized wow like i'm capable of seeing a dude who's really hot in a fucking diner at two o'clock in the morning and have him hit on me like the at that point in my life that hadn't really sort of solidified in my head that that was possible so let us segue from there. Oh, I think I have to sneeze. This is really bad time. Issues. <laughs> Go for no, it. No, I think I'm okay. Okay, so we're segueing. We're segueing into this thing that I really want to talk about, and that's an excellent story in that this is a two-parter. A, I think that we develop sort of blinders when it comes to other people being attracted to us because mm-hmm. we cannot credit that attraction because especially if you grew up fat, you have sort of a lifetime of cultural messages telling you no one will ever love you. And B, I think that when someone is physically attracted to us, I think a lot of fat people discredit that and do not trust it. And are actively freaked out by it. Mm -hmm. And so this guy, you know, hitting on you, making up a total, totally making up a story about knowing you, you know, if if, (laughs) it was so fucking charming, Marianne, like to this day, I'm like, I love things like that. I I literally to this day, I'm like, I, I can't believe. And like I said, I knew him pretty well as a friend after that. And it did seem like something he would do. But I, I yeah. to this day, I'm like, that was such a, a, an amazing, like, sweet, hilarious, charming, adorable thing to do. Yeah. And I kind of wish my circumstances had been different so that I could take him up on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm all for that sort of thing. But, I mean, it took you a year and a half and yep. him directly telling you to accept that, yes, he was hitting on you and mm-hmm. that he was hitting on you because he was attracted to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck? We're so fucked up. It's totally, yeah, totally. Because we have this this block that, you know, we cannot, which I think goes to a couple of questions we've had about sort of, as you said, being made nervous by people who are specifically, I don't know if if this dude um, was specifically attracted to fat women. Uh, I saw him date a lot of different people, uh, some of whom were fat, some of whom were not. So I tend to think that he just liked people based on other 
aspects of who they are. But, but especially if you don't know someone and they're like, yeah, I think you're you're hot, you can't really ascertain whether they're, you know, they have a general preference for fat people. There's something about you that's attracted to them or they have a genuine fetish. There is no way to know. Yeah. there's ab- and, and you have to sort of be willing to give people a chance. I, I think that you can you can usually spot people who are going to creep on you. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I tend to think that most of us have a sixth sense that sort of goes off when someone is just looking to, which again, you know, and I don't even want to say that, that relationships built on fetishizing someone's size are always bad because I don't think they always are. I think they can be damaging in certain circumstances, but I'm not comfortable saying that they're always negative things because. And I I, think relationships built on like anything can be incredibly damaging. Yeah. I mean, there's always that potential there. And I think part of the discomfort of being hit on by someone who is sort of candid in their their admiration of your body is we do tend to assume that there must be something wrong with this guy or this girl. Yes. But, I mean, I had I got hit on tons of times by by people who are very very forthright about being into me purely sexually, and it made me really uncomfortable for a lot. I mean, now it can happen. I'm like, damn straight, but. <laughs> <laughs> Back back in the day, it would happen, and I was incredibly like this. This per- I need to run away from this person because they're seeing me as a sexual being, and that's just wrong. <laughs> Which you have to think about that in any other context. In what other context of dating and picking someone up would you think, "Oh my God, they're seeing me as a sexual being. There must be something horribly wrong with them." Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it rid- is of ridiculous. Course- but it's it's totally, I think, one of the ways we're enculturated to police ourselves. Enculturated. Is that a word? I like it. I think it's a word. <laughs> I, shut up. It's a word. <laughs> I but think you, that it's one of the ways that we are enculturated to police ourselves. All right, Sarah Palin. <laughs> I would be I, not talking to you now, but it's a podcast. So I repudiate. Kind of... I repudiate your enculturation. I wish I had the subscription to the OED. <laughs> yeah, you're you're difficult to me right sorry. now. <laughs> sorry, oh, sorry. I'm, I'm oh. sorry. This was a sidetrack. I just had to. <laughs> I had to no, but I agree. I think that that is how we're enculturated to read such encounters, and it's understandable. But it's also a big ass roadblock because there are lots of people who there's are perf- a Wikipedia entry for it. That means it's real. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I love that you looked that up. That's kind of charming. <laughs> I'm on the computer. It's right there. I've got my knitting to one side and my laptop to one side and my cat to a third side. You win. <laughs> As I said, I think that you're right and I think that that is, that is a, 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 an obstacle because there are people, yes, there are creepy fetishistic people who don't give a crap about who you are as a person, and which, again, would be fine in a certain kind of relationship. If that's not what you're looking for, then... Well, 
Well, yeah. I think there's also the assumption that fetishists don't care about people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like this is a sole defining characteristic of them entire in their entirety ever. I mean, people with fetishes are are people too. I think the problem is that fetish fat, fetishism as it re- connects to fatness very often gets conflated with feederism. Yeah. And these are very different. These are actually different ideas. Um feederism, I would argue, is I don't know. I I I tend to think that that tends to be a, a an abusive relationship. I I have not classified it in that kind of way, but I can totally see it being that. And I just, I yeah, I do have much deeper problems with feederism than I do with fetishism. I I base that assessment on the fact that for the many 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 years of being connected with and talking about fat issues, uh, I have never met someone who had a feeder-based relationship that it did not fuck them up or and that their partner was not also sort of an asshole to them besides yeah. that. So I don't want to say that it's impossible for that to have a healthy relationship based on that because it may be. I have never, ever heard of it being healthy and happy. <laughs> so that's where my... And if there are people listening who have had a positive experience, definitely let us know. Yeah. Uh, I'm not close-minded to the possibility. I've just never heard of that happening. And fetishism, when... I just, I feel like I want to be on my little fetish soapbox and be like, you know, we don't do this when people have a fetish for, like, I don't know, animas. You know, we're not like, oh, they're only with that person because they'll give them an enema. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's a component of their relationship. But generally speaking, I mean, come on. (laughs) No, I totally agree. I think that there is a definite judgment, a sort of weighting, pun, that fat fetishism gets weighted as being especially incomprehensible um, culturally. So we associate that with some sort of, and it's true, pretty much anyone who has any kind of sexual fetish in the broader cultural discourse is going to get classified as being sick in some way. Yeah. Because we're not a particularly open-minded culture, and that's it's true. It's, it's unfortunate, but that's how it is. But I feel like fat fetishism is is I feel like fat fetishism goes up there with like scat play and and that sort of thing as being completely non-understandable to the vast majority of people. That you know, and and there is such a profound judgment associated with it, and. My own personal opinion is what happens between consenting adults um, is between consenting adults, and I don't really give a shit what people are into or what they do. Yeah. Uh, I just said I don't give a shit, and I was talking about scat play. That's really <laughs> funny. Uh, <laughs> but really, you know, that's I, I respect the right of, of uh, people in general to do what makes them happy as long as it's consensual. Uh, but you know, it's, it, there is this, we have this association and what's weird is that simply being attracted to fat people does not make you a fetishist, which is important to note. Fetishism is a little more complicated than just, I like the way fat people look and I find that attractive because you know, you'll note, and this is an old argument, but you'll note nobody calls someone who is exclusively attracted to thin people, a thin fetishist. Well, nobody... You know, nobody says, oh, you know, I have such a fetish for blondes. Right. 
they just only date blondes. Or I have such a fetish for penises. I will yeah. only date people with penises. That's we don't we don't talk like that. <laughs> because these are things that are within these are not sort of deviant concepts. Yeah. When sociologically speaking. Whereas yeah. having a preference for someone who is, you know, bigger than the acceptable norm, well then you must there must be so you must be fucked up if you're into that. Yeah. And I think that it's important to to make the distinction as well that you shouldn't have to like violate your own standards of of what makes you feel creeped out. But at the same time, like that's going to be different for everybody. Yeah. So I feel actually kind of bad for people who do, and and that's people of all genders who have a preference for fatty partners because a lot of times they're going to get the you're creepy kind of response, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, I don't know, it's hard out there for a fat admirer, I guess. (laughs) When I was uh, in college, there was this kid who, who sort of, again, different guy but we had mutual friends who was absolutely totally unabashedly hitting on me every moment that I was within earshot of him like just obsessed like he was gonna conquer me I guess and I kind of wasn't having it not because I mean and he had a, a, a sort of uh, known taste for the larger ladies and, like, a bunch of people had said, like, oh, yeah. Like, even before we met, I had friends being like, oh, he's totally going to hit on you. <laughs> and he was a nice, he was a little awkward. He was a nice enough guy. But the thing that always put me off was he was very prescriptive. Yeah. And so this is sort of, I'm, I'm telling this story as sort of an illustration of, like, having a boundary that you just set and decide I'm not going to cross this. Yeah. Because he's, he also enjoyed, uh, like, which I, you, if I had a dollar for every guy that had something, something for like nylons and tights and stockings, I wore a lot of really short skirts back in the day. I mean, yeah. really, really fucking short uh, skirts. And I got hit on a lot by guys who were very into my elaborate collection of tights and stockings, which yeah. is adorable, but whatever. Um, he was very prescriptive and he'd be like, like I would, you know, we'd wind up being somewhere and he'd be like, oh, I don't like those tights. You should wear x1 oh no way and the first couple of times i was like "Uh, okay and then by the time he did it like uh, again i was like fuck you man i wear what i want to wear i'm not dressing i wear what i want i don't even want to fuck your punk ass yeah so yeah so that was that was one of those situations where like and like you said it's different for everyone i was okay with it at first but it got to the point where i'm like you know what i'm feeling kind of offended by the fact that he's telling me you know whereas the other other people who had hit on me and who had been like tell me about your tights collection (laughs) (laughs) that is less problematic than you know someone saying you should be wearing these or i i i oh you look better in this and that and i don't know man like if you want to tell me i look good in what i'm wearing that's fine but if you're trying to hit on me and you're telling me that i should be wearing something else you're not going to get very far yeah and i think that there are probably specific like kink based situations where that could work but but not, not without just, somebody who's like already negotiated that kind yeah. of yeah i mean that was that was where my my uh, indignant response ultimately came from is that like dude this isn't we're not 
talking about this seriously. Like, I'm not involved in, with you in any way. And after this conversation, I'm not going to be. <laughs> yeah. Because that's just not how you do this this shit. Now, admittedly, we were all very young, and I'm sure, you know, as, as we all got older and, and figured out the process of negotiation, it probably would have been different. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a good time. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I just, I, I think that we sabotage ourselves sometimes mm-hmm. by dismissing physical interest as being somehow invalid or mm. you know undesirable like it's undesirable that someone should want to be with us because we're hot mm-hmm. and i think that or it's suspicious yes that it is suspicious and i and i think that yeah that is that that is hugely symptomatic of the cultural messages that we get and i think that it is something that people will should probably spend some time examining. Um, you know, I, I remember very clearly the first time I realized that people might just randomly find me attractive. I was working at the mall. <laughs> I was working at Lane Bryant and uh, I was on like, I don't know. I was there early or I was on break or something because I was talking to a friend who worked at one of the little mall kiosks. And I was sitting there, and I am generally fairly oblivious, and I was even more so then because, you know, it, it, it wasn't even feasible that it would happen. But two guys walking through the mall checked me out in an admiring way, and I was like, holy shit, I am not a repulsive human being. <laughs> and, like, that was, that was my, my complete and total thought process because it was such a, a moment. I remember it. And... I don't know. Like, it, it is revelatory. Like, it wasn't even a big deal. It was just a couple of guys wandering around the mall looking at chicks. But I didn't, you know, know anything about them. They didn't know anything about me. It was a pure moment of, oh, yeah, that's an attractive person, and which think- is not which which is not a bad thing. I think that when you do meet people, one of the reasons people date is because they're attracted to each other. Mm-hmm. It it's okay for that to be the initial spark between people, you know. It's it's fine. Yes, then you begin the process of getting to know people. But one of the questions we got on Twitter was, um, "Where can a guy interested in a large woman purely for her size at first come to like her for her personality, or is it pointless?" Anybody who's initially attracted to you because of your body, you're going to have to go through that process. It doesn't matter if you're thin or fat or whatever in between. Like, if a person is initially attracted to you because of something about you physically, <laughs> yes, they can come to like you for your personality as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's, it's not, a, you know, somebody liking a fat body is not a... A, a damaging, dangerous thing. I also it's think it's just a thing. I also think it's kind of important to recognize that there's a difference between getting a boost from someone checking you out and the dreaded deriving your self-esteem from the approval of yes. specifically men. 
that I know is something that a lot of us sort of guard against, and, and rightly so. Yeah. But it doesn't. Ha- it's not really a black and white situation. You can get checked out by dudes walking by you in the mall and feel like, hey, you know, I, I look awesome today. But that's not the same thing as creating a self-esteem that relies upon that in order for you to feel good about yourself. You probably, if if guys are checking you out, odds are you probably were feeling good about yourself to start with, and that's part of what made them look at you. Yes. Because self-confidence is, is, again, such a fucking The most cliched cliche But it is attractive. Someone who's out doing their, their thing and not worried and not, stressing about the people around them and and is just comfortable in their skin that's incredibly attractive well that's how that's one way mr i haven't seen you in forever hey what's your number Mm -hmm. pulled that off i mean that kind of thing relies entirely on self-confidence yes absolutely and i mean the one thing that it's important i mean if 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 people take nothing away from this the one thing i think we both want everyone to understand is that no matter who you are or what you look like or what you're into, there are people, and I mean multiple people, (laughs) there are people out there in the world who will find you incredibly attractive. It doesn't matter if you are into stuff that is way bizarre or, or silly or if, you know, you have, uh, uh, if you're incredibly introverted or incredibly extroverted or if you're, you know, hugely fat or if you're incredibly skinny, there are going to be people out there who are intensely attracted to you. That's just the way of the world. You're not searching for one individual, one magical fucking individual who will fit, where the two of you will fit together like puzzle pieces. That's not how this, I mean, that can happen, but even then, that's not the only puzzle piece. And I do think that there are different kinds of relationships. Like some relationships are just not going to last forever. That doesn't make them worth less. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, those relationships can be a good time. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And there are times, I think, when people yearn for that kind of lifelong partnership and relationship. And because it is a numbers game, there are times when you don't find it. Mm-hmm. But the trick is to not make your and, and I mean it's it's insufferable that two old married ladies are sitting here being like you have to come to terms with your life as it is and enjoy it. Aim it sounds so much like we're saying aim low. It's not even aim low though. It's that no matter what no, your relationship not. status is, you have to be happy with your life as it is. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you can't like you can't just wait for a partner. Because the sort of tragic reality is that you may never find one. Your life needs to be complete without a partner in order for you to sort of mesh. I mean, and I'm a big believer in this. That and, And this is a running joke that, you know, people always say, oh, the second I stopped looking to meet someone, I met someone. And I feel like that's a cliche for a reason. Because... I think it's what, probably true for some people. Yeah. And it was, people. it was totally true for me. I had actually been like, you know what? Fuck this. I am going to be celibate for like the rest of my life if I have to. And that was actually when I wound up meeting the um, arrogant bastard that I wound up um, ultimately marrying. Yeah. But, you know, that that was I mean, that's that's I feel I, I really feel strongly like you have to, as you said, you have to have 
a life of your own. It, you can't put shit on hold because you're waiting to meet this perfect person. And I have so many friends um, and people that I'm close to that discover this really later in life. And it's sort of sad um, when, you know, you sort of realize, like, wow, I've, I've been not doing stuff for so long because I thought, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't travel unless I had a long-term partner. Yeah. Uh, which you, you can travel without a long-term partner. You can travel with a fuck buddy. Or you can yeah. travel with friends. There's lots of people. You don't need to have this, this. Or you can travel by yourself. Exactly. I mean, there's, there's a million different options, and you can have just as good a time on any of them. It's, you know, we, as, as we had said earlier, we have this idealized expectation, many of us, well, at the very least, we're, we have it hammered into us. Some of us don't believe it, but some of us yeah. do, that, you know, we ha- we're going to have this relationship that fits a certain profile, and that's going to make us happy. And speaking as, a, as an old married lady, um, and I'm sure, Marion, you <laughs> will second me on this, you get far enough into a long-term relationship, and that shit just does not matter anymore. <laughs> It's not like, oh, let's fuck off to Paris for a weekend. It's like, oh, shit, like, you know, I, I, I don't even, you know, the brakes in the car need replacing. How the fuck are we going to pay for that? Or, you know, I need dental work. Well, okay, I guess we're, you know, like these, these, these become the critical romantic conversations that you have. And it's not to say romance dies because it doesn't. It just, that's not as, as important. I mean, long-term I wish that there was a way we could just completely revamp what we imagine marriage to be like culturally because the picture and the conversation that we have, you know, in, in, in sort of the media and in film and in all of the representations that we see tends to be dramatically different from what the reality is like. And I'm not saying the reality is bad. The reality is actually completely fucking awesome, but it's a very different experience than what what was that what was that movie with i don't know any fucking movie with like Ryan Reynolds in it i guess <laughs> i feel like your whole like it would be terrible it would be a romantic comedy i'm like yeah that's pretty much that pretty much sums up romantic comedies i hate them so much <laughs> i i hate romantic comedies my husband loves them and so like he'll go see them and i'll be like i'm not watching that but <laughs> I think that, you know, we we use romance as shorthand for the ways we know people care about us. Yes. Well, I know my husband cares about me because the other night he stopped on his way home from school and bought me twinkle lights for my cubicle at work and a Coca-Cola. <laughs> you know, that that's not romance. That But that Coca-Cola was the best Coca-Cola ever. Mm-hmm. And... That is romance for us. You know, when we were dating, like, the most, the, <laughs> the most romantic thing Ed has ever said to me was that we click like Voltron. <laughs> I love that. I've heard it before, and it still, like, touches my heart. I know. I'm like, <laughs> that is one reason I knew that he was the person for me. Mm-hmm. Because that is, like... <laughs> Because that was a meaningful gesture for me. I've had partners who've brought me flowers and that thing. And I do have kind of a soft spot for flowers, but not as like a big romantic gesture. Mm-hmm. Like flowers don't mean you love me. They mean, you know, I like flowers. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's what means you love me, that you know about my preferences and you care enough to do these things for me. Yeah. 
you know, and then you do them in return for your partner because it's not a one-way street. Because that's the other thing that pisses me off about the sort of heteronormative romance concept is that it is something men do to women. Right. When really it needs to be sort of a two-way concept that you, you know, that you mm-hmm. both get to participate in and you both get to find gestures that are meaningful for the two of you. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of anger about this. Wow. Well, I mean, I feel the same way. I am, I am a very non-romantic person. I always have been. Uh, my husband is incredible, loves the idea of romance. He loves, like, bringing flowers and stuff like that. And I love it because it's him demonstrating how much he loves me. Yeah. By, you know, doing the stuff that, you know, is, 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 is sort of these typical gestures. But he's also learned that there are atypical gestures that will touch me even more. And, you know, it's like you said, it's about learning. It's about knowing each other, really, particularly in a long, a super long term relationship, whether you're legally married or not. Uh, it's about learning each other, learning what is important to one another and what's. What will make, you know, sometimes I don't want flowers. Sometimes I just want him to come home and, like, empty the dishwasher and, <laughs> and vacuum and, you know, just not even say anything to me about it. Like, yeah. sometimes that is the most romantic thing ever, to come home and find the house clean. And be like, oh, my God, that was so sweet. Like, that'll make me go all high-pitched and squeaky. <laughs> whereas flowers, flowers, I'll be like, you know, like, oh, flowers, pretty. But that's, like, pretty much where it ends. <laughs> So I think that, um, you know, that's, that's, there's, you know, it's different for everybody. Yeah. Um, there was another question. I'm like, I'm realizing that we're starting to take a lot of time and I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to get through some of these questions. Well, you predicted uh, a two-parter. So I, I think this is purposefully driven by you in order to make yes, this be a two-parter. Yes, that's my, my, my agenda. I knew it. My, my fat agenda is to clog the internet with fat people talking about dating and sex. I knew it. That's actually a pretty good agenda. I think I'm going to write that down (laughs) as like my actual agenda. Um, (laughs) Do you, uh, that's, oh, do you think repeated mention of weight loss is a deal breaker? Is similar body size important for a partner? If somebody's harping on you to diet, I have no patience for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think similar body size is important for a partner. Like, I happen to be, uh, every guy I have ever taken home has been of a similar, like, stocky build, Mm -hmm. but that's still not really similar to my death fat, fat ass. (laughs) Um, And I've, I've dated people all up and down the body spectrum. Um, I don't think that that is important at all. No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. If someone, if someone is harping... If someone harp, particularly early on in the relationship, if someone is harping about weight loss, I say sever immediately. Yeah. Um, if it's something that's going to bother you, if you can recognize that, then recognize it and be like, you know what, this is just not going to work out. Because the long, obviously, the longer you put up with it, the more you'll be expected to put up with it. And if six months to a year later you decide, oh my god, I'm going to fucking stab you if you bring this up once again that's a lot harder to disentangle yourself from versus, and I mean, you can try to have that conversation. I don't have, you know, obviously again, old married lady, but I don't have the patience. I don't do that with, you know, people I meet in, in possible friend um, situations. I don't have the patience for that. If someone's constantly talking about dieting or saying I should diet, I'm not going to continue to be friends with that person. 
I, I think that we have better ways to spend our time. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, if it's someone who is, is you really like in every other respect and you think it's just a question of, I just need to explain to them why this is problematic, give it a shot. Yeah. You know, you may succeed and they may shut the fuck up about it. Uh, at least you'll know you tried. But I, I would nip that in the bud, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Before you get, because that's just not something that you want to put up with forever. No, I mean, it's it's body fascism. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I don't have time for that. So far as different sizes, I totally, I don't think, you know, you're not restricted to dating someone. A, you're not going to crush anyone. Like, yeah. you're not. You're not going to crush anyone. Uh, so that's, it's not even like you have to be like, you know, you must be this fat to ride this ride. <laughs> that, 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 that is not necessary. If you're, if you're into someone and they're into you, y'all will figure out a way to make it work out. Trust me. Yeah. So that's not something to limit yourself on. Yeah. Um, that was easy. Yeah. The next one. Um, well, let's handle this one before we handle like the two that sort of deal with the same giant complex subject. Mm -hmm. And the simple one is, what do you think of speed dating events? I, I have a hard time answering that because I've never speed dated. Uh, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with it. I know people who have done it and who have had an awesome time. Um, I also can't, I mean, because part, a big part of this conversation that we're not talking about is online dating. Yeah. Because I never, I met, okay, true, true. This is kind of horrifying. Way back in the mid-90s, actually the early 90s, technically, I did meet people online, not through dating services, but just through MST3K fandom boards. Yeah. <laughs> and I met some of them locally. And, you know, this was back in the day when, when the only people really using, well, I don't want to say the only people, the lion's share of the people using bulletin board systems and things were pretty, pretty intense nerds. You tell so, this story, and then I'll tell you about my mom internet dating. Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell the longer story because that's I think I've already told it. Um, you need to link to it though because it's a really good story. Okay, I don't even remember what the freak episode that was. It wasn't an episode. It was an um. It was one of your form spring. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll link to that. I've ever had. I'm I'm embarrassed that you remember that and I don't. But that was actually one of those who did qualify. One of my people I met online did qualify as one of as my worst date ever and it was pretty hilarious so I will link to that story but uh yeah it's it's that's a huge huge part of this conversation that we're not addressing and I think so, I know so many people who have been incredibly successful with online dating fat people included uh because I think it gives you an opportunity to meet someone intellectually before you meet them in a physical space I think we should perhaps address that, um, mm -hmm. but we may have to do it in another episode. Okay. Um, just because, yes, I mean, I think we both have lots of thoughts about internet dating. Mm -hmm. um, and I can, I can tell you about my mom internet dating and when I was in high school in the 90s on Prodigy. <laughs> I used Prodigy too back then. Oh my God. So did my mom. Oh, that's awesome. And it, it, yeah, I'm like, I think it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as far as speed dating goes, I think that speed dating banks on you being able to decide in 15 minutes whether you're attracted to someone or not. Mm. And if you are someone who does 
visually differ from what people are expecting. Like, if you're not the easy visual choice, mm-hmm. sometimes that can go really, really badly. Like, difficult on your self-esteem badly. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that um, speed dating can also be a lot of fun if you go into it with a sort of, I'm going to practice talking to people kind of kind of thing. Because that's what it is. I mean, I don't... Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I don't think it's any more likely to find you your one true love or even your one true booty call of the night mm-hmm. than anything else. Yeah. So that's, that's my thought on speed dating. I agree. I um, think, I, I think, it, sorry. I am kind of sad that I never did get to try it because uh-huh. I, I do think it sounds kind of fun, but I like talking to people. Well, I think that yeah, I think you're right insofar as in in the idea of this is this is good practice. Um, I think it could be really, really particularly for someone like me who is such an introvert and is really bad at small talk. Um, it would be not a great opportunity not to actually meet someone, but to develop skills that enable you to chat up strangers in a more natural and less, uh, you know, sort of difficult way. <laughs> I am so bad at small talk. Like I am, I am kind of notorious for being incapable of having lighthearted conversations at parties. Like all of my conversations tend to be deeply political or in, so over intellectual that there may be one person present who is willing to talk to me about it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's kind I, of not was... because it makes me not really awesome at parties. <laughs> I'm actually really good at it, and I credit that. I was an only child, and my parents took me along to a lot of adult events, like work parties and hanging so out with I. their grown-up friends. So I learned how to have, like, a conversation with other grown-ups really pretty young. And, I mean, that's 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 what it comes down to is whether or not you can sort of read this other person's conversational cues and come up with some bullshit chatting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fun, but that's just me. Yeah. yeah. So, speed dating, um, maybe. <laughs> speed dating is a maybe. <laughs> I think it would be a good time, but I also think it would be a better time to sort of like going back to that whole I'm smart and a smart smart ass. How do I meet people? Yeah. Go. You know, I I would probably not go to like the general speed dating event, but go to the like alternative subculture speed dating event instead. <laughs> the smart fat ass speed dating event. Well, you know, I'm also like I have cartilage piercings in my ears and I dress funny and I I really like Star Trek. <laughs> you know, I I think these things are just as difficult to like find people to accept as as anything else. So, yeah. you know, I'm obnoxious. Mhm. There there is no like Speed dating for obnoxious people, which is You're, a damn shame. And you, Marianne, you are so obnoxious. It's like, it's like a hurricane. Thanks. <laughs> uh, uh, I actually like the idea of speed dating for obnoxious people. I like do too. not 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 as a real thing, but as like a Monty Python sketch. Uh, <laughs> I like it as a real thing. Uh, uh. I see how you are. You're thwarting my my multi million dollar idea. 
I'm making fun of you because that's what I do. That's true. There, there is a significant amount of mockery. And that <laughs> makes you obnoxious as well. Wait, I never said I wasn't obnoxious. I just don't care about talking to strangers. <laughs> strangers are interesting. My obnoxiousness is reserved only to people that I know. <laughs> and a grateful world heaves a sigh of relief. Aww. That's so sad. Oh. No, that's, I mean, that, that's fine. That is one of the, that is one of the things, like, you have to play to, like, your strengths, and sometimes you do have to learn new skills, mm-hmm. like talking to strangers. I mean, that, that helps when you're, when you're trying to meet new people. Yeah, totally. Um, the, the next tweet, and then I got an email, do we have time? Like, what, what's our... Uh, we can uh, probably hit up, hang on, we started at... Yeah, we can probably hit up one or two more, but we're going to have to wrap up soon. Okay. Well, the tweet and the email are kind of related. I will start with the tweet, and then I'll read sort of an abridged version of the email because mm-hmm. it's a little lengthy. And I don't know how, like, okay people would be with me reading their, their big email anyway. So the tweet... Um, how does one gracefully maneuver around his or her family's questions about your weight, food, dieting? And the email is related to that, um, talking about negotiating relationships with the sort of outer circle, because you don't date someone in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. You don't meet someone in a vacuum either. Um, My friend Mark and I have this little song that we made up, Um, 99% of what people do has nothing to do with you. <laughs> and um, often keep that in mind when dealing like with rejection or whatever, because it, it really doesn't have anything to do with me, especially with people that I don't know. Mm. Um, but when you are like dating someone, you do get to deal with their friends, their family, their co-workers, you know, that, that sort of Venn diagram meshing of lives. And given our fat negative culture, that can have side effects. So part of the email, um, she, uh, she has both dealt with friends telling her she aims too high um, when it comes to crushes, which is bullshit, people. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, people are like that whole out of your league thing is just bullshit. Fuck a whole lot of that. Um, pardon? I said, fuck a whole lot of that. Well, it got like, we got a little disconnected there for a second. So I didn't understand. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) um, another fat friend of mine has a mother-in-law who constantly tells her son that his wife is disgusting and that he should take their daughter away before she ends up a fat cow like her mother my last boyfriend had friends that put a lot of pressure on a relationship because i was too old and fat for him in their opinion and another fat male friend of mine discovered one of his colleagues mooing out of a car window at his girlfriend not knowing that the friend was there witnessing um yet this guy apparently has no problem with the friend being fat Mm. so you can be, you know, a fat activist and you can deal with the stuff that is directly heaped on you. How do you deal with, like, the secondhand smoke of fat hatred? Yeah. As it, as, as, as it were, you know, the stuff that people dating fatties hear. 
Mm-hmm. And and I do think it's important to note that that happens whether your partner is thin or fat. Um, because if your partner is under a lot of pressure to date and you are a fat person that they are dating, you know, their chances are good they're going to hear shit about that. Yeah. So the uh, I guess the question is how do you how do you deal with that slightly outer circle? Yeah, that I mean I feel like a lot of that a lot of my advice for that is is similar to the advice we gave in the holiday episode. Um in so far as you know what sometimes you just get locked up with people that you can't you know in in the holiday episode we we're talking in the context of being your family. But, you know, it also works if it's, you know, someone someone you're dating, friends, anyone that you're sort of forced to spend time with who is likely to make unfortunate comments about your size or your supposed eating habits. And I feel like in a dating scenario, it's it's as contingent on the person that you're dating as it is on you. That if, you know, like, hey, if you're dating me and you ostensibly like me, you are going to say something to these friends of yours about not making these comments, which, you know, make me very uncomfortable or, you know, are are just horrible in the case of like the mooing or just horrible fucking grotesque things to say and do. And I feel like to some extent, I mean, it's one thing if you're, you know, sort of long-term married, that's that's a different scenario. But if you're still in that dating, I mean, I feel like anyone is perfectly within their rights to say, this friend is being an asshole to me. I need you to talk to him or her about that. Yeah. Because if you want to be able to spend time, both of us, socially with this person, I'm not going to do it unless they're treating me with some degree of disrespect and dignity. That yeah. you know, I'm not even saying that, like, you have to convince them that, you know, your your fat dating partner is awesome or completely acceptable. That may be a lost cause, depending on the person you're talking to. But you do have to tell your asshole friends to knock it off and to, you know, even if you're thinking bad things, you don't get to express them because I yeah. like this person and I'm dating this person and you're going to respect both me and him or her yeah. on that basis. I think that um, that's... That's that's really the the sort of practical approach. Um, whether or not you are ever going to convince, you know, the, this outer circle is is, is almost irrelevant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that you can get to the point of of doing fat activism with them when they're actively campaigning for you know <laughs> for them to break up with you. Yeah, I think that it comes down to your partner having the I don't know, the, the strength of character to say, this is not okay. You need yeah. to stop. And if you don't stop, these are the consequences that will, that'll come from that. You know, if you don't stop, then we don't go home for the holidays anymore. Mm-hmm. If you don't stop, then, you know, we don't, we don't hang out at the bar anymore. And then what? you have to carry through. It's, it's, and it's not so much just, people disrespecting the person you're dating as it is people also disrespecting you and your taste in the people that you like. I mean, fucking with someone that you're dating is shitting on your choices and your taste in, in fellow human beings. And I feel like in, if, if circumstances were reversed, I would be as offended by that. Yeah. 
as I was by the language, the you know, abusive or negative language directed precisely at my partner. That, you well, know, I find just... I would be even more offended because I'll put up with a whole lot for myself mm-hmm. and a whole lot less for the people that I love. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I really think that that's, and honestly, and I don't want to be a negative Nancy here, but I feel like if you're dating someone and they're not willing to talk to their friends or their and, mom or their mom or anyone in their you know, sort of separate circle of people that they're close to, you want to reinvestigate whether this is someone that you want to date. Because if they're not willing to stand up for you now, uh, you don't have a whole lot of reason to believe they'd ever be willing to stand up for you in the future. Because yeah. what what the fuck is going to change, really? You know, and it so, does come down to your personal comfort levels, but yes, exactly. If it's bothering you, that's it. it's not even like there's a hard and fast limit of this becomes... You know, you cross this line and it becomes unacceptable. If it bothers you, that's enough. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be mooing. It doesn't have, it can be, you know, every time you see his sister, she talks to you about, you know, asks you if you've joined Weight Watchers yet. Or she tells you about how much luck she's had and how you would have so much. If that bothers you, that's enough for you to say to the person you're dating, can you talk to her and ask her not? to mention that to me anymore because you know it's hard to it's hard for you to draw that line in a dating scenario because you know if you're married I mean if you're married ostensibly you know you definitely you're you don't get free reign depending on your circumstances but you're a little more entitled to stand up for yourself on your own whereas I think that if somebody is whether you're dating or not if someone is like actively harassing you about your size like mooing at you mm-hmm. i think you are well within your rights to address that yourself yeah, absolutely like, i'm talking more about subtle yeah you know any like i said subtle stuff even if it's even if you think oh it's nothing if it makes you uncomfortable that's enough yeah that's for something. you to yeah that's enough for you to to say something and to ask you know can you please ask her not to talk to me about weight watchers every time we see each other or you know can you please tell your friend to not to stop asking me if I've gained weight every time we run into each other at the bar. Yeah. Um, I think I probably would in the case of like a sister-in-law who was like, oh, have you joined Watchers yet? I I think that is something that dating or not, I would, I would be like, you know, I would appreciate it if you would not bring this up every time because it makes me feel X, Y, Z. But I think that it's okay to go either way. Yeah, on that it, it it's entirely it's it's situation dependent I, and personality I, dependent. Yeah, it's person dependent too. I think there are those of us who would be very comfortable um, just sort of quietly asking, "Can you stop this?" But I because it doesn't have to be a big scene. No, and I think, but I think that you know sometimes when you're dating and there's a lot of uncertainty and you don't want to make um, a, example. My my husband's previous girlfriend. Um, did I think in total like two or three maybe stupid things um, around his family, and as a result they hated her like ah. totally, totally had abs- like could not stand her. Thought she was horrible. And I mean we're talking about like three missteps over the course of like a year or two, which is yeah. not a huge amount of missteps. So I feel like in a dating scenario, depending on on everyone involved. Sometimes, yeah, it's more comfortable to be like, you know what, I don't know how they're going to take this if I say it. And I guess my point is it's okay to ask the person you're dating yes. to say something. That if you're, not comf- yeah, if you're not comfortable 
you know, calling it out yourself. It, you are completely within your rights to say something. And if the person you're dating, A, either doesn't like you standing up for yourself or doesn't want to say something to the person who's giving you a hard time, you want to reassess whether this is someone that's worth going out with because, like I said, that's that's kind of not acceptable to me. I think we have spent a lot of time this episode going, you may want to reassess. <laughs> I think that's actually really good because I think that, again, because of the cultural messages that we get, there is the sort of mindset that this is the only person who will ever love me, mm-hmm. but it's not. No. And even if you never had another relationship of that kind ever again, a relationship where somebody treats you poorly and attacks your self-esteem is not better than no relationship. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, I, I take kind of a hard line on that. Like, I think that people deserve to be treated well in their relationships as they have a responsibility to treat their partner well. And if you aren't with someone who can do that for you, then it is not a tragedy to be alone. Mm-hmm. Being alone so. is kind of awesome. Yeah, I, I dig it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Every now and then, I really miss it. Like, I love my husband, but there are complications <laughs> <laughs> to being in a long-term relationship that I didn't have to deal with when mm-hmm. I was single. Yeah. And as someone who does sometimes appreciate variety, <laughs> um, you know, whatever I slept around it was fun um you know there that'll there be are... the next episode <laughs> yes yes it will I don't know I mean I the the person I wound up married to it it actually cracks me up when people are like when you stop looking you'll find someone because I was sort of quote-unquote dating three different people um of whom my husband was just one competitor. Mm -hmm. And, like, he eventually won out. But I was, you know, I was looking for somebody to have some fun with. Mm -hmm. And he wound up being the winner. Well, that's actually the same situation. When I say you stop looking, I don't mean you stop looking for people overall completely. I think it's, for, in my own experience, the experience of a lot of people I know, has been that when you stop looking for a soulmate or for that yeah. one person who is going to just knock you off your feet and you'll live happily ever after, a lot of times, and I feel like it, it makes sense because sort of giving up on that idea opens your mind to a lot of new possibilities that you might not have considered yes. before that. And I feel like that is when you start really meeting people where you're thinking, wow, you know, there there are a lot of people in this world and it's I could have an awesome time with lots of them and maybe one of them I could spend uh most of the rest of my life with. And and it's it's more about sort of opening like letting go of that idea that I'm gonna meet one person, it's gonna be love at first sight and there's gonna be fireworks and I'm just gonna know yeah. and we're gonna ride off into the sunset together because that just it doesn't really happen. I mean, it happens sometimes, but the odds of it happening for you are really, really fucking slim. So you're much better off just sort of thinking, you know what, I'm going to go out with lots of people and explore and investigate and experiment and have a good time and we'll see what happens. And that has nothing to do with being fat. Like you being a fat person does not, is is not the dictator of those odds. It's just the odds of that in general happening. Exactly. 
It has nothing to do with being fat. That's true of people no matter their circumstances or size or appearance or whatever. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. All right. I um, so I a... think that's dating. <laughs> yeah, I think we got dating done. And um, we'll do volume two on the sex. Um, I, I got a lot of questions on sex. And I really do feel like sex is in and of itself going to be a two-parter. Mm-hmm. But just just throwing that out there. <laughs> All right. So you have been listening to FatCast. I am Leslie Kinzel. I am Marianne Kirby. And it really is fun. And it's not a bleak, romantic horizon, I promise. <laughs> and we will see you guys next time.